The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day. The Flat Trackers. Nice. nice. And uh, yeah, I had to go like uh, semi-self-indulgent with a rockabilly band because 
it, of course, is our de facto Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of rockabilly, psychobilly, you know, it, it lends itself yeah. to the macabre. It does. It truly does. <laughs> our third Halloween episode. Yes. Can you believe you, that shit? You told me that before the show. I was like, wow. Three Seriously. years at least, which you know, we started, I think, in, in, in August. So, yeah, we're yeah. just over like three years doing yeah. this now. Wow. Woof. Right? Time flies when... Uh, when uh, when you're throwing a monkey wrench into the works and pissing in the Cheerios, man. And that's just what we do. <laughs> we are the fly in the ointment. So, again, yes. that is the Flat Trackers, a uh, stellar rockabilly band. Good stuff. Off of their 2008 album entitled uh, Speed Car Demon. Nice. And, yeah, it, it hooked me because it rocks and it's got werewolf in it. And that's what's up because <laughs> happy Halloween. Absolutely. Now, there's really no correlation between that and our first topic of the night. Yeah. Except for the fact that it deals with a, a somewhat fanciful topic, which is now colliding with the world as we know it. And here we go. Yeah, the timing on Reality. this is, uh, is, is interesting to say the least. Right. You know. So should I say it in my, my typical Johnny Teflon ugly American <laughs> style? Uh, yeah, let's have it, Johnny. Well, I'll tell you what. In, in lieu of an editorial that we were thinking of doing, or a disclaimer, as, as you put right, it, Michael, right. um, let me say, before we continue with tonight's main topic, in no way, shape, or form do either myself or Michael Sean Lee look to disparage the LGBTQ community. They are equals, like everybody on this planet. Everybody brings something to the table, and we love you all. Absolutely. This is about one little tiny snippet of what's going on. Yeah. So there you go. There's, there's your cleansing disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. This is a little bit about the money. It's about yeah, know, and, yeah, and how it how it interacts with said community. Yes. And uh, and yeah, this is a, this is a deep well we're diving into on this one. No doubt right. about it. So strap yourselves in, kids. <laughs> Hold on to your butt. <laughs> and happy Halloween. <laughs> so it comes out uh, last week or so that in DC Comics, uh, which if you're not down with the comic books, DC Comics puts out um, a lot of the big tier names like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Aquaman, on and on and on, Green yeah. Lantern. And and having a bit of a renaissance, too, after some down years. Yes, because Marvel's just been eating their lunch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah quite literally. But those two have always been at opposite sides of the yard. They're the big dogs staring at each other. And they've always brought different kind of sensibilities to the table, yeah. even within this fanciful world of superheroes. But what's happening as of late? As I said, just about a week ago, the um, current incarnation of Superboy, which they have as the son of Superman, has come out as well bisexual. Bisexual, bisexual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And let's take a take a pause real quick, Johnny. Since mm-hmm. since DC is your wheelhouse, uh, Superboy, he's not full on Superman as far as as far as abilities go. True. He's, is I mean, his mother was Lois Lane. She was. She was human. Right. She was an earthling. And this, like I said, this incarnation is their actual son. In yeah. years past, it was a clone right. that they kind of made from Superman. And, you know, over the years, it changes. It was half Lex Luthor. It was half just Kryptonian DNA. Yeah. So he was always, like, super strong and powerful. But, yes, not quite Superman because he's got that whole boy moniker right. at the end of it. Right. But similar abilities and all that good stuff. So... What DC has been doing now, after the success of having the latest Robin be Bruce Wayne's actual son, yeah. they did the same thing with Superman and mm-hmm. then rushed along this, this kid's maturation process yeah. and handed him the mantle. Now, this is different in its own way from what they did with Robin, having him ask out uh, another boy on a date, yeah. because it was in like one of the, the fringe Batman titles. It wasn't canon, as they say. Right. But with this latest revelation with Superboy, this is uh, uh, official. You know, put it down in stone. So if they were going to make a Superboy movie tomorrow, then yes, he would probably be bisexual. I find it very interesting, too, that this actually did make headlines uh, around the world. They give you an idea of the cultural impact of comic Mm -hmm. books these days. You know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I don't think we would have seen this in the newspaper. Right. And and radically different. So I'll just spend one second on this. But along these same lines, you know, because I'm going to be the old disgruntled nerd that doesn't like change. (laughs) But although different, they dropped another Superman bombshell about, I want to say, two years ago where he renounced his U.S. citizenship. Do you remember that? I Because that hit the the newswire as well. 
And at the same time, they try to justify it by saying, well, Superman belongs to the whole world and everything. Right. And yeah, w we get it, okay? If there was an actual Superman, I doubt he would just protect the United States and say, screw everybody <laughs> else. But as a character, it's about mom, baseball, and apple pie, the yep. American way. Oh, yeah. It's Superman. Why do you got to fuck with that? <laughs> See, that's funny. I've never seen garbage eat garbage before. Pardon sign my of the, French. Sign of the times, man. Right. Sign of the times. So jumping off of that, what we're dealing with in our main topic tonight is DC Comics in particular, this wave of characters that they are retconning, meaning redoing their origin stories and whatnot, to have them be either homosexual or bisexual. Yeah. Now, you, as always, have done your research and are looking at it from... More of a, a black and white approach than I am. Yeah, I think it's I think it's business, and I definitely think that they are doing this in a deliberate attempt to appeal to Generation Z, mm -hmm. if you will, the Zoomers. And uh, in all honesty, in looking at the numbers, I can't say I blame them. I mean, right now, Gen Z totals approximately sixty-eight million people, uh, the oldest of which turns twenty-four this year. That's twenty percent of the U.S. population. Uh, and this is probably the most significant fact, uh, Gen Z now represents over $140 billion in spending power. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm going to repeat that for emphasis. Uh, <laughs> they represent over $140 billion in spending power. I think what we're seeing That's is... That's a lot of action oh, figures. hell yeah. <laughs> you know, I think what we're seeing now is a very deliberate effort on the part of DC Comics to pave the way to the future. I'm super! Thanks for asking. You know, they're trying to, to build a new audience. They're trying mm -hmm. to capture a new audience segment. Um, I don't know if it's uh, legitimate. I don't know if there's a... There's a uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think it specifically... I don't think they're trying to pull in gay or bisexual people so much as it's a reflection of Generation Z, what they're... Uh, focused on mm -hmm. what's significant to them, what's unique about their uh, generation. Um, you know, they discuss things uh, like sexuality uh, in a whole lot more freer way, I think, than previous generations do. Mm -hmm. I mean, to give you an idea, one in six, uh, according to a, a recent Washington Post story I was reading, uh, one in six Generation Z uh, adults, if you can call them adults at that age, identifies as LGBT. Uh, according to a Gallup 2020 uh, survey, the oldest segment of Generation Z right now is between 18 and 23. And among Americans in general, 18 and older, 5.6% of adults now identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. That's up from just 4.5% only three years ago, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, more than half of all LGBT adults identify as quote-unquote bisexual, which I think is the main reason why Superboy or Superman or whatever the hell they're calling this kid uh, identifies not gay but bisexual. Right. I think that's a very, very significant Gen Z LGBT, uh, the Gen Z LGBT community. 72% of them identify as bisexual. You know, there's a very distinctive difference between bisexual, gay, mm -hmm. or the 12%. Um, remainder, if you will, right. of the generation that identifies as something other than bisexual or gay. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, this is a very deliberate, very specific effort on the part of DC in calling him bisexual. Right. You know? Right. And, uh, and it's funny because then this is another thing you and I were talking about uh, before the show. I don't think it's so much uh, the old school folks having an issue with discussing sexuality or not so much as them now uh, realizing that you're no longer the center of the uh, center of the bullseye as far as who they're appealing to, you know, you're not the generation they're looking at now. The new pitch, you know, Superboy being bisexual, that's not aimed at you. That's right. not about you at all. And that's a hell of a revelation. It, it really is, is to it realize is. that 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 they're not. You know, it, it's funny. I was I was discussing this with my mother of all people. Just recently, she was watching some kind of show on TV, and she was uh, offended, and she was angry mm -hmm. at the 
level of stupidity uh, that she was seeing in the commercials. Right. And I had to explain to her that... And this is someone who's lived through the variety shows of the 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? But I had to explain to her that they're not appealing to you. Right. They don't really care if you think this is stupid. They don't really care if this is registering for you. It's not your money they're after. Right. And when you had told me that, you know, what rang true to me is not only are you absolutely right... But here I am now, there's this 50-something American male who his entire life has loved superheroes. I've got a closet full of the lined-up boxes with all this stuff in, in plastic and boards. I've got curio cabinets here at Big Boom Radio, <laughs> kind of like the 40-year-old virgin, with action figures still in the original packaging and all this. Oh, yeah, it's an impressive collection. It truly so is. So now yeah. all that, and, and my fandom and all the money that I've spent on them over the years, okay, amounts to a hill of shit because I'm not... The it factor anymore. I'm not who they're going for. <laughs> but and maybe, maybe even more disturbing or disconcerting is that they're not interested in your opinion. Right. <laughs> you know, because this just just stuff just happens. And maybe I'm looking, you know, too far into this, and I'm looking at comic books as high art when they're not. But as I said to you in in our very long pre gaming session today, yeah. <laughs> You know, 500 years from now, people are going to believe that Batman was real, okay? Yeah. Just like, quite possibly, you could say it about any classic character. I mean, shit, the ink on Beowulf was still drying at one point, <laughs> and now look at it. So now, if somebody were to go back and rewrite Beowulf, okay, yeah. Yeah. as a member of Nambla, okay, because <laughs> it, it makes it more uh, controversial, and it might suck in some new readers, you know, to the whole Grendel saga. Yeah. Does that make it okay? Of course not, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's it's not a case of having any member of the of the LGBTQ spectrum as a superhero. My problem is the laziness involved when you're taking pre-established characters, some of which are well over 50 years old, yeah. and retconning them as having a different sexuality just to fit your agenda. Message! Yeah. That's what I have a problem well, with. Well, that, 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 kind of, that kind of revision revisionary tactic mm-hmm. does strike me as pandering. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to create a new character, you know, the son of Superman, if you will. Super, what are they calling him? Are they calling him Superman, Superboy? What is the deal on Superboy, this? Superboy. Is it Superboy? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's one thing, like I said, you know, to create a new character that fits in more with uh, the new generation, if you will, or the generation that is currently in the majority. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I had mentioned that, but if you take the numbers of Gen Z and then take the numbers of the generation that's coming up behind them, I think that they're calling them the alpha generation or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. You combine those two numbers, they are the majority demographic. Right. You know, and, and I'm it's talking, their parents' I'm, money that they're using to yeah. buy. And look, nobody even buys comic books anymore yeah. off the shelves. It's all digital. Yeah. You know? Oh, by the way, that, that last <laughs> comment was directed at you, millennials. You know, get over yourselves because not only are Johnny and I not in the target demographic, but pretty soon you're not going to be either. You know, it's moving fast these days, folks. Time marches on. Yeah, and I think, think, you know, the millennials are going to have a bit of an issue with that. Right. Now, back to the, the, you know, the debate point of, you know, new characters being able to do whatever they want with. Back in, um, and I, I'm sorry if, if I get the name of the company wrong, but I believe it was Wildstorm Comics that came out with a, a, a new Justice League of sorts. Yeah. And the, the uh, two main characters on the team were called um, Apollo and the Midnighter, respectively. Okay. Right. And Apollo was like a, an over-the-top version of Superman, bright light, shiny, you know, white and yellow costume. <laughs> And the other leader of the group was the Midnighter, who pretty much just looked like Batman. And they were a gay couple. Interesting. And it worked. And it worked marvelously throughout the thread of these comics, which I think, again, correct me if I'm mistaken, but DC had absorbed and bought those characters as well. Right. But right out of the gate, they were gay, but they were amazing characters, so nobody gave a shit that right, they were gay. Right. Even though like their affection for each other was woven into the stories and, and the and the the pathos of, of every episode. Yeah. It just worked. They were fantastic original characters. Nice. But now if I'm looking back, you know, I went through it, did a little bit of research, which is not my normal <laughs> cup of tea, right? 
And I found a site that would list the uh, the sexuality of all these different DC Comics superheroes. Wow, there's a site out there? Yes. That, wow, okay. And it broke it down versus, you know, straight, bisexual, homosexual, whatever, trans. Yeah. And... I was I was I was shocked. Like a lot of them, I I knew yep. or had suspected, right. and a lot of them I missed the boat on. Like the ones that were really surprising to me, yeah. by default now. Which, if you think about it, kind of makes sense. All the Amazons, including Wonder Woman, are bisexual. Interesting. But since it's on a woman of uh, an island of rather of nothing but women, yeah. uh, okay, I'll give you that one. Okay. Right. right. However, her arch nemesis uh, Barbara Minerva, who is the alter ego of the cheetah, gay. I was like, oh, okay. Again, like we had said once before when we talked about Robin, I don't know what's in the water in Gotham City, yeah. but a litany of gay characters from the the, the Batman uh, pantheon, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, yeah. uh, lead detective for the Gotham City uh, PC, Renee Montoya, Batwoman. Batwoman? <laughs> yes. And Batwoman, now, again, is always, well, pretty much Always been gay. Yeah, and for the for the sake of people who aren't DC people, myself included, I'm the Marvel guy. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but we're talking Batwoman. We're not talking about Batgirl. We're talking oh, yeah. about two separate characters, totally correct? Totally separate characters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, some of the, the villains, another cat, Prometheus, which is like the antithesis of, of Batman, a, a, a heavy hitter in the DC universe. Yeah. Gay. Never knew this, you know. Wow. And it's just like one by one, like characters both major and minor, there seems to be, and this is like the real nugget where we're at with this topic today, there seems to be, Michael, an agenda to transform these characters from what they're known as to something else to placate a particular, in this case, market segment. Yeah. Now, DC has never been as, oh, what's the word? Let's say just as worldly as Marvel is in so much as the ethnic diversity of their heroes, right, and well, how respectful they've been about all that diversity. Yeah, well, I think a big, big, significant difference between DC and Marvel that explains that is Marvel pretty much puts their characters into the existing world. Like right. in Marvel, there's a New York City. DC creates the worlds that Good their point. characters inhabit. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think that's a very, very distinctive point to be made here. Since one of the uh, one of the curious things you and I were discussing again, in our uber-long pre-show today, was the fact that Marvel seems to be sitting on the sidelines on this one. They're not jumping in. No. They're just kind of waiting to see. I mean, then again, it could be hubris because, they're look, their movies are, are bigger oh, yeah. than their comic books at this point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like the... Uh, what's the expression? The something leading to something, where it should be. <laughs> what, the dumb leading the stupid? Or the, the cart leading the horse, oh, almost, okay. you know, because okay. the, the movies are just so major. Yeah. Um, whereas well, do you DC, think that is, is they're sitting on their laurels? They're, they're I, drunk I think they with success are. and they're they hanging are. back? Yeah, but you know? see, Marvel is also smart in that they mine these decades of fantastic stories of theirs that have already been written right. when it comes to doing these movies. You yeah. can tie the movies directly to a lot of the major thematic like summer events that they've had in their comic books. Right. And like I always say, you know, why do you hire script writers to do a comic book movie when you've got, in some cases, 50-some-odd years of stories to cull from? Right. That makes no sense to me. Yeah. But whereas DC is so concentrated on... You know, these movies that they think are going to be Oscar-worthy because they're so <laughs> gritty and there's, you know, some spectacular. Yeah. No, it's, it's about the human aspect of it. Yeah. So, again, without, I mean, right off the top of my head right now, if you think of every single major character that's in every Marvel movie that's come out over the last, what, 10 years? Yeah. Is there a single gay one? Not that I can think of off the top Not of my head. Not a single no. one. No. And if and if there is, it's it's way 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 down deep in the uh, description, the character description, right. to the point where it's not significant. Mm -hmm. You know. Whereas DC, not having the the movie outlet that Marvel does, they are heavily into animation. A lot of stuff is really really good. Yeah. But yes, they do the same thing with their animated characters, and they allude to different like sexualities and whatnot. So again, it's an agenda. And maybe it's because their parent company, Warner Media, says, look, that this is the way we're going to march now. So yeah. incorporate these characters, represent these elements. And, you know, like I said, that's fine. I'm all about that. you got to yeah. be inclusive. And, look, it's fantastic for any kid growing up that feels a little different, you know, than the other yeah. kids in the neighborhood or whatever to have some 
larger than life character that they can look up to and relate to. Yeah. That is awesome. Okay. Yeah. But you got you got all kinds of creative types working in these studios. Invent yeah. new characters. Yeah. As a as a as a lifelong DC guy uh, who is immersed in it, do you think they're pandering? I I totally do because yeah. at this point it's just so gratuitous. Yeah. Because you know, you could attach anything to the Superman or the Batman mythos or even Wonder Woman at this point. Right. And it'll stick and it'll be okay. But again, to come up with a new character, okay? And I, I used uh, an example with you earlier, which I'll share with everybody. <laughs> Early on, when the current Robin, who is Batman's biological son, right. um, starts making his way and wears the costume, he's paired up with Dick Grayson, who's filling in as Batman for the time. Right. And the first big bad villain that... These, again, the creative types invented and wrote into the storyline to be their, their joker, if you will, right. was this guy called the Flamingo, who was a professional assassin and would kind of cut off people's faces as his trademark. Wow. This is a pretty gory, intense dude. That is, right? considering the, the, the title, Flamingo, right. that doesn't instill fear <laughs> into the hearts of, of you know, men. But, right. You well, know, he did is... wear a, a matador like costume, which yeah. was in fact pink, so it's a tie into flamingo. <laughs> and when uh, the new Robin and Dick Grayson filling in as Batman at first encounter him in this giant uh, episode ending splash page, yeah. here's the flamingo riding this giant Harley Davidson glider, purple and pink, like Prince Road and, and Purple Rain, <laughs> carrying a whip, okay, a and whip. looking at them sassily. And little young Damian Wayne looks up at, at, at uh, Dick Grayson and says, I was expecting scary, not gay. <laughs> so There does seem to be some like really twisted Liberace shit going yes, on Yes, and here. that's exactly yeah, what, what it was. Yeah. Now, this is only, what, six, seven years ago. So you can't talk out both sides of your mouth because right. people will never respect that. And again... Having been the idiot that that reads this shit, still enough just to you know keep up with the characters and whatnot, yeah. I'm looking at this and there's no way I can go except to say that they're they're pandering to an element now. And look, the LGBTQ community is is anything but stupid. Oh yeah, and they're gonna see this at first. They're like, yay, we're getting represented. But when you go to the next level, there's such a thing as as true representation. Yeah, or making a dollar off these people because you think it's going to be something that they're interested in. Yeah. And it doesn't work that way. No form of entertainment does for very long. Yeah. And I mean, as far as their level of intelligence and whatnot, this is not a demographic I would pander to. Right. They are, they are so not going to appreciate that. As a matter of fact, that'll bounce back in your face and cost you. Mm -hmm. You know, it won't be, it won't be a situation where they're, they'll ignore you. Right. You know, they'll burn you down. And I'll, you know, I'll close my argument aside on this whole topic with where I think this whole thing originally began. Uh, you remember the show The Real World on MTV? Oh, yeah. And it was the one season where they had the young man, uh, Hispanic kid, I believe, who died from AIDS. Uh, yes, I vaguely remember this. And yeah. one of his friends in The Real World house, um, Judd Winnick, his name, he was a, a writer. Okay. okay? He yeah. wound up coming to DC Comics and working as a writer for them and was instrumental in creating a lot of good characters. But from day one, he was preoccupied with turning a major superhero, Green Lantern actually at the time, yeah. as a gay character because he felt it was important that they get represented at this level. Yeah. And he caught a lot of blowback from the higher ups. They were oh, like, yeah. no, you know, this is well, your agenda. Yeah, that's the revisionist bullshit we were talking right. about. Yeah. And what he was able to accomplish was at the time the, the individual that was the Earth Green Lantern was a uh, was an artist, was a comic book artist, <laughs> which actually added a lot to the constructs he yeah. did with his ring art and whatnot. Imitating life, imitating art. Exactly. <laughs> and he had a fantastic young man as his uh, like student assistant, his gopher, his his Friday, if you will. Yeah. Um, who was gay, and one night leaving a nightclub, him and his partner were set upon by a group of shitbags, yeah. and they gay-bashed the hell out of this kid. Wound up in a hospital, he almost died. Right. Um, and then, of course, Green Lantern goes on this, this vengeance kick, and gets pretty dark with it, you yeah. know? Yeah. But 
I didn't mind that at all because it told a very important story, especially for the time. Right. Even though this was, you know, early 2000s, gay bashing was still a thing. And unfortunately, still is a thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I love the fact that they, they hit this um, social abomination head on and fearlessly and told a fantastic story. Nice. That was executed correctly. Okay. Plus, because no one had ever done anything like that before. Right. That took work, it took creativity, and it took a lot of forethought to oh, make yeah. it work. Yeah. Okay? It took some balls, too, to break right. new ground like that. And sure. Green Lantern even went to the rest of the Justice League, and they're like, what, are you going to sit back and do nothing? Like, he said to Superman, you could round these, these clowns up tomorrow yeah. and, and, and stop this, and you choose to do nothing. So it was like a story within a story within a story. Right. But again... That's creativity, okay? Yeah. And that, that's yeah. the art form. That's writing. That's, that's art. It wasn't done to pander to anybody. Yeah. You know, it was a message, and the message was appropriately sent. Yeah. But this seems like what's going on now seems like light years from yeah. them. A little bit too much effort. Yeah. You know, and again, I don't think they're necessarily trying to pull in uh, gay, bisexual, trans people, uh, trying to pull in those, those people to be new readers, new patrons and whatnot. I think they're just speaking to the conversation that's happening with Gen Z these days. Yeah. I think this is just more a part of their situation than it has previous generations. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that by comparison, uh, if I remember correctly, only half of the LGBT millennials identify as bisexual. Mm -hmm. So there's a significant difference between that generation and the generation coming after them. Right. You know, it's just the identification of. Sure. You know, and, then, and at that, that age, if I vaguely remember that age, um, <laughs> you're not necessarily locked into these things. You right. know, you're still in kind of an experimental phase with your own life. Right. And kids are always more accepting than over-the-hill adults like us. Yeah, you know? no doubt. And, you know, to, to roll it up in a nice, neat bow as we move into, oh, the refreshing middle gem. <laughs> you know, art imitates life. And this is life today. Yeah. Okay? Oh, definitely. And in this world, we got all different flavors of the rainbow, so to speak. So why wouldn't it permeate this aspect of, of art and popular entertainment? It is the conversation. I just say, you know, don't ruin the message with an agenda. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. On that note, my friend. Let's get out of this. Yes. <laughs> I believe you've assembled a uh, not really self-gratifying <laughs> gem, but okay. Well, I, de I definitely think that this is one of the situations where the middle gem is speaking to the second topic yes. that, we're, that we're going into. And I'm on the record is... saying I love this middle gem. Yeah, yeah. Should we, should we tell the audience now that <laughs> after this, the Rolling Stones are going on hiatus from Riffs and Rants because they've been getting a lot of rotation time. Ah, what can you do? You but know? it's a great song. Yeah, yeah. And that's that. In the end of the day, that's what always saves it. It's, yes. it's, a, it's a good song. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a transition. And it's funny because this is one of those songs where uh, the band... Got is kind of getting out of their own genre, mm -hmm. and which which the Stones very infrequently do, and when they do, they usually don't do it with any degree of success. <laughs> um, and uh, but in this case, I think it uh, it was a very interesting, uh, very interesting take on on you know the times. You know, this was this was we're talking about 1983 now, mm -hmm. and uh, and yeah, it was it was a. I remember when the album came out, it was a surprise turn. It was a very interesting turn. Uh, this doesn't fall into the category of a tumbling dice or a satisfaction or a jumping jack flash is one of the tunes one of the band's all-time greats but i still think it's a it's a very significant uh uh marker in time i guess for the Rolling yeah, Stones. good way to put it and uh, and again it, it's a good segue to the topic that we're going to be taking on second half of the show so let's do it shall we let's do it from their uh, 1983 album of the same name uh, this is the rolling stones doing undercover of the night enjoy it all folks every second because we'll be right back in a few more minutes with some more things and halloween types <laughs> Yeah. The opposition's tongue is cut in two. 
And it is such a good tune. It yeah. really is. Yeah, and it, it's. I thought it was a great effort on their part to, uh, you know, get away from their standard, you know, R and B fare mm-hmm. and do something unique and interesting. And uh, and I, I recommend the video to anybody if they want to check it out oh on man, YouTube. Oh man, yeah, the video is cool. <laughs> it's the like a little movie. Cool, but yeah, the Stones don't don't generally make political statements. I mean, they made a few back in the '60s. Um, most. Most likely because it usually doesn't go over well with the Stones audience. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that was inspired by what was happening in Argentina and Chile uh, in, the, in the early to mid-1980s. Uh, you know, political corruption in Central and South America was very much a thing, mm-hmm. you know, in the 1980s. And that was, the, that was the Stones making a comment on it. And, yeah, it's, it's very, very obvious from the video and uh, I don't think Keith Richards has ever looked more evil you know, <laughs> than he did in that video. And he gets to kill Mick Jagger, right. you know. And at the time, they weren't getting along, so <laughs> yeah, it fits. Uh, yeah, Undercover of the Night uh, from the album of the same name by the Stones. 
Uh, it was released as a single in November of 1983, and uh, the album also came out, obviously, in the fall of 1983. So a little fun there. We had, had a good time. And, uh, and, and, yeah, Johnny, thank you for letting me roll with a Stones tune. And even better yet, folks, uh, I acquiesced to this. <laughs> But now the the uh, well, we did some negotiating. We did. You know? So if you could re- you refer to our, our gem artist, if you will, <laughs> um, we like to use each one sparingly. And as I tell Michael Sean Lee, uh, it is with all humility that I say that between the two of us, we know like a shit ton of rock and roll songs. Yeah. So I always gravitate towards the same like collection of artists, as good as they may be. You know. Yeah. So I keep telling them, spread it out, spread it out. So, oh yeah, as much as I give give Johnny shit about this, he's he's got a good point. There's just so much good music. Right. To so now the there, uh, so. the the Rolling Stones will go into the proverbial penalty box <laughs> and not be heard from for a while. And to be fair, I'm letting him uh, go back on the ice with the, both the Clash and David Bowie. Like I said, good trade. <laughs> it was a good trade. <laughs> but we're gonna work very hard, always, folks, to keep it diversified. Absolutely, absolutely. So obviously, given the topic of the uh, the middle gem, uh-huh. uh, we're heading in the direction of conspiracies. Yes, and Hollywood loves a scandal, don't yes, they? It does. Yes, it does. So for our uh, our subtopic, we're going to talk about uh, three of our individual favorite movies that revolve around scandals, conspiracies, and cover ups. Both real and fictional. Yep. Okay. Yep. And and quite honestly, some of the real ones are just as interesting, oh, if yeah. not more so, than the <laughs> fictitious ones. Yeah, well, the, the truth gets blurred in a lot of these. The better the movie is. Yeah, no doubt. Um, as, as you'll see shortly, folks. So, Michael Sean Lee, why don't you lead us off with uh, one of your choices? All right. Well, my number three choice, i uh, got to say, was Low Hanging Fruit, but uh, <laughs> definitely one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. Uh, All the President's Men, uh, 1976, based, of course, on the Watergate scandal, the biggest political scandal of the modern age. And I think a fantastic uh, and very, very close to uh, real Mm -hmm. take on what happened. There was, you know, everybody knows Hollywood takes liberties with the facts and whatnot. But uh, in this particular movie, which I believe was directed by Robert Redford, uh, they stuck pretty close to what really happened. They weren't... There weren't composite characters going on. They, they they told the very real story. And that was him and Dustin Hoffman. Was uh, it? Dustin Hoffman. Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, and and they changed journalism, uh, modern journalism, uh, courtesy of that film. Right. And of course, you know what the real Woodward and Bernstein did uh, for the Washington Post uh, with the facts on that one. Uh, it was uh, yeah a very. Uh, I'm almost tempted to use the word revolutionary right. uh, film. It did result in a, a serious spike in kids coming into college uh, going for journalism oh, majors. Sure. Absolutely. You know, everybody wanted to be the next um, Woodward or Bernstein mm-hmm. you know, to discover you know, that monster scandal. And God knows there's never a shortage. I mean, we yeah, went Now Bob Woodward is a, it's just a, a, a shallow shell of himself. <laughs> and he just chooses to write books about Trump and whatnot because he knows it's an easy payday. Yeah, and he, he <laughs> does get paid. And really, journalism know. has been chasing that watershed moment yes, they have. for decades oh, yeah. now. You oh, know? Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny that, that very shortly thereafter, we had the Iran-Contra yep, yep. Uh, thing happen. And you know, there's, there's definitely a question as to how much of an appetite the country has for that level of scandal. Right. You know, we and very everything named Gate at the end of it. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. There's a, there's a classic <laughs> example of the long long term effects of Watergate. Yep. But but yeah, you know, you would think given the given the the gravity of Iran Contra that it would have carried just as much weight, if not more, than Watergate. But it did not. No. You know, which which again, you know, brings up the idea of of how much of an appetite you know the country has for real scandals. You know, obviously, we love our we love our movies, we love our you know creative scandals, many of which are based on reality, based on things that really did happen. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 always interesting to gauge the public's uh, appetite for this kind of stuff. Mm. You know, so that was my uh, that was my number three, Johnny. What do you got? Well, I'm going to go on more of a fanciful tip for my number three. Uh, the cinematic classic Soylent Green. Oh, there we go. Soylent Green is people. <laughs> and it's, you know, made during that time when, when uh, Charlton Heston was just making so many, like, uh, counterculture classics of a yeah. sci-fi nature. 
he had the Omega Man, then he had this, and it was I think Planet of the Apes might have came right after, yeah, right before. Yeah, it was right during that. But time that period. that was his that was his lane, man. That was his wheelhouse. You know? Yeah, <laughs> which is makes it kind of curious, you know, to consider what happened to the guy. He became a shill for the NRA, right? right? But well, maybe uh, he made too many of these, and he got a little paranoid. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Silent Green is people. Quite possibly. But of course, you know, the, the great thing about Silent Green is that it's it's a fanciful Hollywood. Uh, conspiracy nightmarish scenario movie that you could possibly see coming true someday. You totally could. You totally <laughs> could. That's that is the the appeal of, of films of that nature, and the way they executed it. You know that you really didn't find out until right at the end. Right. Very reminiscent of of Planet of the Apes when mm-hmm. he comes across the the Statue of Liberty. Sure. And suddenly you understand what really happened, what really was 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 going on. You know, you can say the same thing with Soylent Green. Right. You know, very, very well, uh, well filmed, well executed movie, I gotta say. Good call, Johnny. Good call. All right, thank you, sir. Over to you. Well, I'm gonna veer off of the whole reality trip with my, uh, with my number two, and I'm gonna go with, I believe it came out in 1990, uh, The Matrix. Yes. You know, which is, it's funny because it's one of those things where, uh, a lot of people suspect that that might be what's going on, you know. Maybe that was that was the appeal that made this film so successful. It was obviously a very well-made film, very well cast, uh, and very much uh, of the time. And uh, yeah, you could conceive of it. Neo, no one has ever done anything like this. That's why it's going to work. You mm-hmm. could you could actually conceive of it. L, I. Bet there's some people out there who really hope that that's the situation, you know? So that would explain, you know, how twisted and fucked up reality is these days. Right. You know? But, uh, but yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. And, and a really good job, you know, all the way around. That was, that was Keanu Reeves' wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, as far as, <laughs> as far as characters to play. He really didn't have to do a whole lot of acting on that one. You know, and, yeah. and the story carried it as good as the cast was, as good as Carrie Ann Moss was, as good as Lawrence Fishburne was. Mm-hmm. It really, the story did win out in the end over you know any any particular character. Right. You know? Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. What do you got for number two, John? Well, number two is what I, I think we might have touched on in a previous episode, or maybe just in our conversations uh, from the late seventies. The movie is Capricorn One. Yes. Yeah, and, it's uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, the, the basic skinny is these guys are on a way to a, a mission to Mars. It gets pulled at the last second because they know it's not going to work. Yeah. But in order to save face and supposedly, you know, prop up the space program so that it doesn't fail, yeah. they're going to pretend they land on Mars, hide out for 120 days, and come back and, you know, get picked up by the carrier like everything happened like it was supposed to. Yeah. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, they do discover... <laughs> <laughs> As things sometimes go awry, yes. the automated capsule burns up on reentry, and now they're like, "Oops, we've got three dead astronauts who now need to die to yeah, stay dead." They, they need to go away. They need to disappear. And mayhem ensues. Yes, yes. <laughs> and also, if you think about it, it was kind of a um, almost a parallel star turn for James Brolin yep. that Charlton Heston went through because James Brolin of the seventies. Made such wonderful hits as Westworld, yep, Capricorn yep. One, The Amityville Horror. <laughs> now he's like an elder statesman of Hollywood, but yeah. back then, yeah, he was, he was just taking everything for a paycheck. Yeah. But yeah, good performances by young Sam Waterston, by uh, pre murdering OJ Simpson, mm-hmm. and a rare villainous role by Hal Holbrook. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Now, was that before or after his, his villain role in the Dirty Harry film? Uh, God, Ooh. which one was it? I would think before. Yeah? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure Capricorn was either 77 or 78. Okay. okay. Dirty Harry's probably 80 or 79. Mm, maybe so. Maybe a little yeah. bit earlier. Definitely right around that time, though. But technically, now that you mention it, I think Hal Holbrook did kind of play a villain in the movie The Fog. Yes, okay. Because he knew like the sailors were coming back because they had been done wrong. He knew and, what was yeah, going on. Yeah, they get on. him in the end, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so here I thought he was a good guy, but I guess not. Yeah, and that was, that was, <laughs> that was a cool movie in that, again, the story carried the day. Yes. You know, they didn't have a whole lot of uh, budget money. They didn't mm-hmm. blow a bunch of shit up. Um, they let the story carry. Yeah. And, uh, and it obviously struck a nerve with a lot of people who now think that the moon landing was a Capricorn Makes you wonder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and then so. when he comes running up... After Elliot Gould saves James Brolin at yep. the end, he comes running up, 
through the graveyard to their memorial service. Yeah, to his own funeral. Yeah. Then you could just say to yourself, wow, yep. talk about scandals. Yep. They should do a sequel just to talk about the scandal. Oh, you know? yeah. And it was kind of cool that, that they ended the movie with him and Elliot Gould running up because it kind of left to your imagination yes. what happened next. Yes. You know? And it's good when movies do that. Yeah. We yeah. don't need to be force-fed everything. No. That was good stuff. Good stuff. Good right, call, brother. John. Good call. Uh, well, my number one... Um, I chose because of the uh, I don't know what's the good good way to call it. the the douche chill level mm-hmm. of the film that when you're watching it how actually disturbing it was because again the plot's very very conceivable uh, the actors did just phenomenal phenomenal jobs uh, Gregory Peck playing. Uh, Joseph Mengele, Joseph Mengele, mm-hmm. and uh, and Lawrence Olivier playing a Nazi hunter. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the 1978 film, The Boys from Brazil. Right. You know the effort to clone Adolf Hitler, <laughs> you know, and revive Nazi youth. I mean, there's something about those themes that are just disturbing. Yeah, and to this day, it carries over because there's still talk about submarines, and they have eyewitnesses. The German submarines would be showing up down there in South America, and they mm-hmm. had bases, and it's oh, kind of yeah. like, oh, yeah. what were they doing? Were they dropping off personnel, treasure, yeah. or both? Yep. You know? yep. I think that's that's one of the keys to the successes of, of these kinds of films, is that the plot lines are conceivable. There's always an element of plausibility. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. And yeah, if I watched that film tonight, it would give me the same... <laughs> chill that it, it it gave me the very first time I watched it. Yep. Again, a very, very good movie. Fantastic, fantastic cast. Get a doctor! I am a doctor, idiot. Don't you come near him! Shut up, you ugly bitch. And, uh, and yeah, very, very disturbing concept. Mm. And, uh, and who knows? Right you now, who knows? You don't. So... All right, what do you got for number one, John? Woo. Well, for me, my last one will we'll kind of split between reality and fantasy. Um, but here's the thing. You know, well, first of all, the movie is The Philadelphia Experiment. All right. The original from the 80s with Michael Perret, who was, you know, the wonder child back then. Yeah. But um, the actual Philadelphia Experiment is something that people still talk about because apparently during a test of uh, radar cloaking technology... Yeah. In the late 40s, still during World War II, um, they conducted an experiment on a ship that was supposed to render the ship invisible to radar. Sounds simple enough. Right. Well, eyewitnesses are documented as saying they saw this ship disappear. Wow. Okay? Yeah. And support ships nearby with, you know, people with cameras and all the reporters were there. Yeah. They even say, as was represented in the movie, that when the ship did reappear sometime later... There were crew members kind of welded in with the metal of the ship, like half in and half out, like an wow. interdimensional thing, yeah, yeah. which is just creepy as hell for my money. Hell yes, it is. So the fact that this is something that, again, has some plausibility. You've yeah. got eyewitnesses that were there that saw this shit happen. The government mm-hmm. never has anything to say about it, of hell course, no. right? Oh, no. It makes you think, hmm, <laughs> you know. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a chin scratcher. So the, the movie just kind of starts right out with that, and you're left like a hubbana, hubbana, hubbana. <laughs> and the rest of it turns into like more of a basic um, like time travel tropes and whatnot. Yep. You know, yep. one guy reappears in, in, in the 80s, and his shipmate, who he was right there in the experiment with, also reappears, but now like he's an old man. So right. one time traveled, the other didn't, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and there was horrible sequels and then a horrible like sci-fi channel remake of the movie. <laughs> but for me, that first one just like hits you because you're just like, damn, what if? Oh, yeah. Well, can you imagine if you, you, you know, one second you're, you know, a guy in 1945 and the next second you reappear in 1980 <laughs> yeah. or the 1980s? You know, you'd be like, you know, what's up with the hair? Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, I think, what's up with all these gay superheroes? <laughs> I'm super. Thanks for asking. <laughs> he could go in any direction, right? Yep. Why is that person's dog more important than their other children? Oh, man. Everything we talk about. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, you know, this is, this is one of those topics where we could, we could run with another topic just to list the films that, that are honorable mentions. Oh, because, yeah. you know, when we were, again, doing this, this uh, pre-show prep, you know, we threw a 
bunch of films back and forth. I know we were talking about The Manchurian Candidate mm -hmm. was one that came up. Uh, the Da Vinci Code was another yep. one that we discussed. I mean, a lot of, lot of good films in this genre, in this neighborhood, uh, that could have ended up on our top three list but did not for, for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. You know, but we could do a whole segment on that alone. You know, this is obviously a genre that uh, that a lot of people are, are are very enthusiastic about. That we're both enthusiastic about. So, and again, because Hollywood loves a scandal. Oh yes, it does. And we had a couple Hollywood scandals this week, but we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> oh man, yeah. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Man. So, did you hit your three there, sir? That was that was my three, John. All right. Then it tells me that it's time for the closing gem. Yes. And this one, keeping kind of with the spirit of what we're all about, which is amazing rock and roll, classic rock music. Yep. As well as the Halloween theme. Yes. We found an excuse to finally feature <laughs> a little something the, the by one and Meatloaf. Only. The yes. one and only, Marvin Lee Day. That's right, better, gang. Better known to the general public as Meatloaf. Don your fluffy pirate shirts and let's rock out because it's time for a visit from a bat out of hell. And we'll be right back with some more things. Thunder in the sky and a killer's on the bloodshot streets. Oh, I'm down in the tunnel where the deadly arise. I know I swear I saw a young boy down in the cover. He was starting to foam in the heat. Oh, baby, you're the only thing in this whole world that's pure and good and right. And wherever you are and wherever you go, there's always gonna be some light. But I gotta get out, I gotta break it out now Before the final cut goes down So we gotta make the most of our one night together When it's over, you know, we'll both be so alone
sinner before the gates of heaven I'll come crawling on back to you Had to use <laughs> some meatloaf, and really, before the song even came to mind, we were throwing around all different kinds of ideas, and the album cover just yeah. came to mind. Oh, what's yeah. what's more Halloween than Bat Out of Hell? One of the all time classics, without a doubt, right? without a doubt. And I am I am thrilled that we finally got a chance <laughs> to throw a little meatloaf in there in the gem category, which isn't that always cool. easy on an hour long show. Oh no, not at all. That's, those are like. Opus. Oh yeah, and talk about talk about a guy that was hard to to define in any specific genre. Yep. You know, they brought him and Jim Steinman brought a just a pure pure theatrical element. Yeah. You know, to rock and roll, and still, you know, to this day, one of the greatest selling rock and roll albums of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Just just the the weight of it. I mean, you got that song on there. You of course, got Paradise by the Dashboard Light, which yep. is. Pretty yep. much a, a blueprint two for teenage of, dating. Two out of three ain't bad. Right. Took yeah. the words right out of my mouth. Yep. I mean, just so many great tunes. Yeah. If there was no meatloaf, there would never be any Tenacious D. Yep. And then where would we be? This we, is true. You know, this is true. I don't even want to think. I don't even want to think. So. All right. Well, hey, what's uh, what's new in Big Boom Radio this week, Johnny? Well, let's see. We got, we got, we got three things to cover here. Let's go first and foremost. Uh, a shout out to our friends in Blitzkrieg Pro Wrestling. We have decided to continue our working relationship with them. Nice. Because they're just such great people. They really they, are. Yeah. They, they put on such a good show. They actually had an event uh, as we're recording tonight that I wasn't able to get to. Um, but they're also mixing with other organizations now because it's kind of like, uh, I guess, convention season. All right. Both with comic books and, and wrestling has this, this thing too. And there's yeah. a. Uh, what is the name of it? Restival or instead of Wrestle Festival, something like that going on in, in Massachusetts. They're a part of. All right. They had representatives at a show today um, over in the side of Connecticut. Just a lot of stuff going on. Nice. So yeah, so we got to give them a shout out. We will we'll be a part of their December uh, pay per view, which I believe is entitled Zeroed Out. But I'm not positive. We'll get back to that. All right. But yeah, so that's uh, housekeeping issue number one. Nice. Housekeeping issue number two. I'm going to send a, a special thank you, shout out to John James and Andy Boldick for helping us out the last week. All right. When we did the Fast and Foodish 2 <laughs> Diarrhea Before Dawn. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. A uh, lot of fun. A lot of fun to do it. Uh, it took me forever to edit it. I don't want to work that hard on any of this stuff. I mean, you and I could do this in our sleep at this point. Yeah. Being episode, what is this, 88 now, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, it's our formula. It just like works. You throw new personalities in it, no matter how entertaining they may be, and it's it, it becomes work real damn fast. Yeah, I'm And sure. I'm not an AV nerd, believe it or not. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but you learn. Yeah, you learn real yeah. damn quick in this business. Well, props to those guys for jumping in. Good job, gentlemen. Right. And yeah. because we keep the ball rolling with things like that and people jumping on and everybody collaborating, yep. we have crossed uh, one of the first magic numbers in the world of podcasting. All right. We've crossed the 5,000 download threshold. Nice. Right. <laughs> Good stuff. So, uh, not only am I immensely proud of that as you should be as well indeed um you know one of my big laments is that i've always you know i, I regret not being married and have kids because nothing will live me i uh, i don't lament that myself i'm i'm, I'm okay with that so i do because i want to live forever I'm, I'm that kind of cat <laughs> and even like the artwork i've done the logos i've made i mean who knows if those will outlive me all right um but this podcast and the fact that we're reaching all over the world. <laughs> nice. More so every day. Yep. Um, it it, it kind of says, you know what? You are making an impact somehow. Yeah. Um, and a nod and a thank you to, yeah. to our audience. And I will say, again, to that same audience, which is really burgeoning in the, in the American Midwest, okay. they like me so much more than you. <laughs> you know, because I'm a little corn-fed. Yeah. You know, I, I speak to real people in practical matters. I'm a pragmatist. All right. You and your tambourine thumping and, 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 and legions of, of ne'er-do-wells that wear black and riot, you know. 
Yeah, I got the fringe. <laughs> I got the fringe crew. <laughs> but this is what makes it so friggin' charming is that we got something for everybody here. Is that what it is? Yes. Nice. All right. All right. I if was they were wondering. all here, we'd give them free popcorn. But this they're is not, true. so we don't. Well, you know. So we just try and make them laugh occasionally and forget about gotta this giant it. shit sandwich called life that we wake up to every yeah, day. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, much much thanks for for yeah for tuning in, people. Yeah, it's it's nice to be approved by the general public. Absolutely, you know we haven't gotten any hate mail lately. That's a good thing. Really? Nope, not even a stitch. Have we been slacking off? Lies! Oh, lies! And there's been errors too. We have heard from Myra Goldstein, but I won't go into that right oh now. My there was a couple. Okay, that know, little shucker. And, yeah, yeah, that little shucker. Okay. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this 88th episode of the Riffs and Rants podcast. And That's, happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, and a happy Halloween. Don't eat any apples with razor blades. Yeah. Uh, what else? I think that covered it. That's Actually, about it. That's, you know, that's, that's a good philosophy for life in general right there. Yeah, I would say just, just be careful out there, kids and parents. And, and speaking of which, parents, look, if your kid's one years old, I'm sure they look adorable in whatever amorphous costume you've stuffed them into. <laughs> oh, but maybe just stay home tonight until yeah. they're aware of what day it is. Yeah. Just, yeah. just saying. Just okay. saying. Yeah. File that with gender reveal parties. Indeed. But that's a story for another day. And there's something metaphorical about, you know, don't bite the apple. Yeah, you know, something va- vaguely biblical yes. about that. You know? <laughs> Again, maybe a topic for another day. All right. The forbidden fruit. There and we on go. that note, <laughs> another shout out to the LGBT community. There we go. On that note, <laughs> as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side.